This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. Come for the craft beer, bourbon, whiskey, and great drinks. Stay for the conversations. Here's your host, Jonathan Green. Welcome into another edition of the Bar Conversations, and this is another good one. They're all good, what am I saying? This one is a fun one, though. We talk with Kevin Patterson and Tasting Notes about beer pairings and the grill, because as we all know, the the weather's getting a little warmer, and I hope uh, everyone's getting outside maybe getting to enjoy the grill a little bit. And we also, for our Bar Conversations, talk with none other than country artist and a guy that has his own tequila brand, John Wolf. Uh, we'll talk about his career, his tequila, and a whole lot more. It's a fun conversation. You won't want to miss that. You also don't want to miss our taste test, which we drop um, periodically across our social media, at Hop Spirits, all one word, on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're also on YouTube as well. And you can find us at hopspirits.com for all those good things. Let's not waste any more time and get into the show. It's almost time. Where did I, where, where did I put those? Here they are. <laughs> It's time for Tasting Notes. We're welcoming back once again to our Tasting Notes is Kevin Patterson, Cicero National Beer Judge. He's also the manager of the Beer Trap Craft Beer Store and Bar in Lexington. I finally said it right after a few <laughs> screw-ups there, Kevin. Welcome back. Congratulations. That's the first question on the Cicero exam is how do you say this word? <laughs> oh, boy. I don't think I've had anything to drink, uh, but, you know, sometimes it's hard to, to tell with, with words. As we know, words can be hard. Um, but you know what, we're going to, let's have a little fun on, on this tasting notes. You know, we've talked a lot of beer styles, uh, in the past, but you know, warmer weather is hopefully here to stay, or at least, uh, some more grilling days where we can get out and about more consistently. So I figured beer styles that go with what you might put on the grill. Cause I don't feel like every type of meat would probably produce the same type of beer that you would want with it, or maybe the perfect beer as, as I always say, drink, how you, drink what you want how you want it, all, all that, that stuff. But sometimes there's things that play better with, um, with the flavors. So as someone that also enjoys cooking, I figured you were a perfect person to ask about this. Right. Yeah. I do love to cook. Uh, I love to cook probably more than I love to eat. You know, so <laughs> that's a big thing of mine. And also, you know, whenever you go through the training, you become a Cicerone, they deal with a lot of beer and food pairings. So you have to understand one, you know, when you think about beer and food pairing, you're just looking at beer as basically being an extension of food. It's made out of the same ingredients. It comes from the same places. It's foodstuffs at its core. The only difference is it's been fermented um, and it's a beverage. So they, they go real harmlessly, harmoniously together. Um, when you're looking at like grilling foods and your you know beer pairing, really what you're looking at is the same basic three things in every beer food pairing. Um, number one is intensity. You know, make sure the intensity of the beer matches the intensity of the food. Don't do a summer salad with a Belgian quad. You know, sometimes those won't work particularly well together. The intensities don't match. So summer salads, wheat beers might be a way you go. Um, the second thing I want you to look for is uh, resonance what type of flavor in the food is going to resonate with the flavor in the beer. In other words, what's your hook? What's something that the mirrors up? Does the food have some caramelization? Well, the beer should have some caramelization. Does the beer have a little bit of acidity? Well, maybe the food has, should have a little bit of acidity. I like resonance, but I don't like to do it with the primary flavors. Um, for instance, like, you know, there's a reason why whenever you go for the dessert course, yeah, let me get the uh, death by chocolate cake, but no one asks for chocolate milk and pairing. <laughs> it's just too much chocolate. So you don't want those really strong primary flavors to be the one that resonates. You want some secondary flavors. So look at the cocoa. What's that marry up with? Probably um, coffee. So you're looking for a coffee drink with that, with that cake. Um, the, the third thing I want you to look for is contrast. There's always going to be uh, a balancing opportunity for beer and food, or sometimes there's an opportunity for the food to start telling a story, but it may not tell the entire story. So you're looking for the beer to complement that or finish telling the story. So you look for those three things. And some of the things I like to, to grill out, uh, first of all, everybody loves a good burger. Mm -hmm. You get that deep caramelization, you got those savory flavors, those meaty flavors. So I look for a beer to kind of do the same. Um, also, whenever you look at beer and food pairings, even though it says burger, keep in mind the sauce or the cheese that you put on the burger may be the primary flavor. And that's one you have to consider pairing more than you do the actual meat. But let's just assume you're doing a standard burger, you know, to all beef patties, special sauce, less cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun type of burger. Uh, when you're doing that, 
Let's go for something like an amber ale if you want a little bit of a hop spice in it. A pale ale will work really well too. Go a little bit deeper to emphasize those uh, meaty flavors with a brown ale, with a Bach beer, maybe even a porter could do real well in that situation if it's not too strong. Um, the intensity really matters. I think a lot of beer gurus out there like to pair really intense beers because they're proud of the beers with foods that maybe get overwhelmed uh, by the beer. So for me, I like to take the foot off the pedal a little bit whenever it comes to intensity and say, just go for a standard brown ale, standard porter. No 11, 12% beers are needed here. <laughs> just something in your five or 6% range would do just fine. You've had a bad day. Maybe you just need strong beer, but that's not for pairing reasons. Pair with your mood maybe, but not with the food. Uh, something else I like to do is uh, Baja shrimp tacos. Um, so when you look at a, a flavor like shrimp, which is a very delicate flavor, you don't want a very bold beer with that. You want something kind of lighter. You can go with a hoppier Pilsner. You can go with a Saison, Belgian Pale Ale. Saisons I like really well because the Baja spices have this kind of strong spiciness to them. And it really works well with those spices, that uh, those Southwestern kind of flavors. So I like that particularly well. Um, what are some other things we can put on? I was going to say, I mean, what, what, what about a big old steak? What, what are you going All with right. on a steak? Yeah, throw the ribeye on there, get a medium rare. Um, that's when you're looking for a little bit more of a really intense dinner course because that's a really robust food. So you can go a little bit stronger with the beer on that one. If you get like a deep caramelization on the outside of that, get a little bit of that char that we kind of like on this fats, you can't go with that porter or maybe a you know, a, a style that, again, hits around that 5% range, 6% range. But my favorite pairing, what do, what do the white people like to pair with a big steak like that? Or Merlot, a big deep red, burgundy red wine. Uh, so what beer could do the same tricks? Well, it's your Flanders Red L's. Um, your Belgian beers could do real well. A quad would not be a bad choice. So I'm, I'm throwing out a lot of options because there are a lot of options. You don't have to just settle for one style. You know, sometimes if you look at wine pairings, um, the range of wine flavors intensities are fairly limiting. But in beer, they go all over the place. So you have a lot of options how to how to choose. Um, so whenever you, you're looking at a big, you know, a steak like that, it's usually a special occasion kind of dinner. It may be getting a little cooler outside, even though you're grilling out. Uh, so you can choose that beer that has a little bit more of that intense acidity, like a Flanders Red would have to cut through that fat, so the, 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 the steak. And I think that goes real well too. Another meal I like to cook out um, is brunch. I like to do, yeah. you know, eggs, potatoes, and those sort of flavors. So whenever you're looking at those uh, kind of flavors, keep in mind that that's not late night. You're not looking for a nightcap kind of opportunity. You may still have to mow the lawn later, do some things of that nature. So go something a little lighter. Choose that Hefeweizen, the traditional German wheat with breakfast foods. And do a lighter uh, Belgian ale. Uh, fat tire would not be a bad choice in a situation like that. So you can do some really nice things. Now, keep in mind, it's not only about the beer and food pairing. It's about the events pairing. So when you're grilling out, where are you standing? You're standing in front of a fire. And so the fire you know, might be outside. The sun's starting to be down on you a little bit. It's getting a little warmer. So don't be afraid to have some pilsners on tap just to kind of uh, swig one down while you're cooking. Um, keep those beers out of the sunlight. If you're going to be outside, if that beer has a little bit of hop characteristic to it, the light will skunk that beer quickly. So if it's an IPA or a Pilsner, that's a little bit more delicate, keep it in the shade. Don't leave it out in the sunlight, but don't be afraid to go with something very basic, like your standard, uh, German lager, American lager, uh, when you're actually cooking food. For me, that's the best part is getting that little bit of relaxation going on as the meal is wrapping up and, you know, get something cold and bubbly on your throat while you're hearing the sizzle of the steak and, I tell you what, any guy could die happy at that point. I was gonna say I'm hungry now. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> I'm hungry that. now. We're gonna cut this this, this short, and, and uh, I'm gonna go uh, heat up some some good food. And and Kevin, I, I appreciate this as always because it's always interesting to learn kind of maybe that step further uh, of how you can have a little bit more fun with beer and uh, you know show show things off to your friends a little bit. And that's exactly when it comes to beer, they're cheaper than most other beverages, so you can afford to play experiment, have fun. That's pub talk. That's pub culture. That's It's just a very jovial and playful way to, to approach a beverage. You can't afford to do that with all beverages, but you can with beer. There's not a whole lot of mistakes when it comes to beer. So buy your beer, it's yours, enjoy it how you like. And Kevin, I appreciate the knowledge as always. Thank you. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at hopspirits.com.
Joining us here on the Bar Conversations is a country artist. He's also the founder of Juan Lobo Tequila. He's got a new album out too. I mean, uh, this guy's just got uh, everything going on tours as well. Welcome in, John Wolf. John, welcome. Thanks for having me, brother. Appreciate you. I mean, do do you ever stop to do anything? I mean, do you get to breathe, relax, anything like that? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Um, it's kind of funny because I'm, I'm getting really bad at social media. So uh, because I'm so busy uh, doing a lot of other things, so it might be it, it might be something to do with Juan Lobo Tequila. Uh, it's usually something to do with a house. Right now, we're renovating my mom's house, so <laughs> so I've been I've been over there pulling trim and and helping lay floors and all kinds of stuff. And so um, it's kind of interesting. I do like to stay busy, and I've got a lot of interest, you know, you know beyond. Uh, beyond music, um, and so it, it keeps it keeps me pretty busy. You know, between touring, we're touring full time now, so you know we're kind of back on the road. And and uh, but yeah, I'm a pretty busy guy, man. Then but thanks for <laughs> I, I'm old school though. That's what I'll tell you. I can the best way to catch me is doing exactly what you're doing. Get me to sit down and drink and talk. So this, <laughs> this is the best way to catch me. I like it. I like it. And with that, I'm guessing I know what's in your glass, but I'm going to still ask the question. What you drinking tonight? <laughs> well, I'm drinking um, I'm drinking Juan Lobo and Yeho. Mm. Um, this in Yeho, as 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 we talk tonight, we'll I'm sure we'll dig into this. But, you know, small batch tequila is is challenging to to sort of I guess keep the profiles consistent you know and I think um, and you I guess you probably know a lot about the bourbon process which I'm not gonna know much about that to be honest with you but <laughs> it's honestly not that far off <laughs> okay You'd be surprised <laughs> yeah so I'm guessing you know when you're when you're launching a, a new bourbon that's probably one of the big struggles too is to keep keep every batch uh relatively the same and and i think um you know so this this is new batch uh new batch in yeho for us we just imported this um at the end of last year as part of a uh, 3500 case production um the only way that folks will be able to know the difference and by the way we're we're working on the the closest we're going to be to you guys will be Nashville, Tennessee, pretty soon. Um, but Juan Lobo's growing. We're slowly making our way out there. But those folks that are familiar with Juan Lobo, the the original Juan Lobo and Yeho had a really shiny tin, uh, foil stamp, and these these new labels are printed uh, in Napa Valley on a really high-end digital press. We, we changed where we print our our labels. So these this new Añejo will be recognized by this matte, more matte finish uh, foil stamp. But it's, it's interesting because when you, when you age things in barrels, <laughs> there's only so much you can do at a certain level like it's and especially with you know with uh crt regulations in in mexico uh you know we we don't have any additives with our tequila which is how it should be mm -hmm. so you pretty much start with a good blanco and you barrel it and for us it's 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 actually barreled in single-use jack barrels so we get our barrels from bluegrass cooperage uh i i think it must be in in lexington man i think somewhere <laughs> close yeah i'm pretty sure it's, it's not too far away yeah so we have a connection if you can find me some barrels i'll come down i'll meet you anywhere to get them because you can't get barrels right now no 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 you cannot yeah. it, it is a hard game yeah so our our Nieho's aged in single use uh jack barrels and i i just i think this 
new batch in Yeho is further in the in the process with you know we can get about eight fills per barrel and we rechar between usage so it's just very if, if folks that are listening that that like Arnejo the idea behind Arnejo is really to embrace the bourbon influence I, I guess mm-hmm. you know so tequila purists are already drinking Blanco anyways <laughs> so I'm not going to piss anybody off by going ahead and saying hey I, I want the bourbon influence in our in our Añejo you know the barrel influence and so I think this is just this particular batch is just really well rounded um, the original sort of attribute of the Juan Lobo Añejo is big pepper big barrel big dried fruit plum and so this is just it's it still has all that but it's just kind of it's sophisticated. <laughs> so, I, like I know you it. want a bottle now. I'm gonna have to get I, you. I, I was I was gonna say because it's it's funny you say that because I I've got some bourbon tonight and and I, I was looking and I was like you know what 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 can I have a little fun with a little Elvis Rye? Okay, um, all right. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you I know, love it. Perfect, I, I, and uh, you know, for for you, how how does one end up in the tequila business? I mean. I know nowadays it seems like everyone's getting into the tequila business, but you've been in it for actually a little while now. And, uh, and, uh, and you, you can obviously tell you're passionate about, so how does, did you get into it? And, and, uh, did it just involve calling up people down in Mexico and, and seeing where it goes? (laughs) Well, in a way it did. It's kind of interesting that, um, it's, uh, you know, I think if I look back on, my career as a country artist, uh, you know, it's country music's a very difficult business and you know, it's, it's, uh, I've somehow survived over a decade, you know, in, in this business. But if I look back on when I started out in country music, it's like, you know, I wanted to be George Strait. That, that was, it was George Strader bust, man, selling out stadiums. That was going to be my thing. And, and, you know, you, it's some of it's luck of the draw. Some of it's, you know, making bad decisions along the way, or some of it's by choice, but, you know, I've, I've sort of maintained a fairly, um, an independent career. And I would say even where I'm at now, you know, five studio, I guess it's five studio records and two live records, tour full-time all over the country. We love our fans. They're amazing. They show up for us. Even, even when I'm not on social media, <laughs> they'll show up. Uh, and it's, it's one of those things where I, I guess you could consider me still a, a club, a club act, you know, I can play clubs. And so I think along the way, you do think about, okay, you know, how am I going to everybody, anybody that's anybody thinks should think about the future, I guess. Maybe I think too much about it, <laughs> but I thought, man, but I, I mean, it's know. smart. It's smart to not just go, I'm going to do this forever. I mean, right. cause uh, right. you, know, I mean, you just I'm never know. Up. You never know. Right. So it's, uh, I threaten retirement on a daily basis, but, uh, <laughs> I, but you know, at a certain point, you know, I, I kind of said, okay, you know, is there something else that I can do that can bring another element to my career to give me a back end in my career? And I, some of that comes from, I've got a finance degree from Colorado State. So I think about things from a business perspective. And so I think at the time it was, it was really just kind of a nickname, you know, it, it was the name, the name Juan Lobo was kind of floating about and my manager. I was going to say for, for those that don't know that, that, that is a riff on your name, correct? And then yeah, it just kind of snow, did it snowball from there? Well, no, the name was kind of around for a while, you know, playing South Texas and, and 
people would say, oh, we're going to go see Juan Lobo. So it was just kind of, (laughs) you know, and uh, so, you know, you kind of go, okay. And I I was kind of searching for, you know, what this maybe other interest would be, because I'll say this, my true passion in life has been country music. It's it, it literally has been my, my golf, as you could say, like <laughs> you can't, you can never master it. You're pissed off at it all the time, but you know, you want to go right back the next day and, and play another round or, 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 or go play another show. And that, that to me, country music just became my lifelong pursuit and passion and love. Right. So, you know, figuring out, and so I've done a lot of different things in my life. You know, I, I grew up in Oklahoma. I uh, went to school in Colorado, got a finance degree. I lived in the mountains for quite a while. I mean, I used to work at the mountain shop. I was big into into <laughs> alpine climbing, rock climbing, ice climbing. Like I climbing. said, is there anything you don't do? Is there anything? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that later. There's a few things. But, uh, uh but yeah, you know, I just kind of had a lot of different passions and, you know, worked for BP, British Petroleum, right out of school on their um, U.S. Oil Americas trading floor. So I was involved in the trading, commodities trading thing. And But when I had the opportunity to pursue country music, it, it became a infatuation, I guess is a good uh, way to describe it. Maybe maybe an obsession, you know, <laughs> probably an obsession. So, but I never feel like I worked a day in my life after that. You know what I mean? People say that, that that's like the, you know, that's the cliche, uh, find what you but, love, never work. But I mean, day. if it does work, it, it does right. happen. It, it truly does happen. Yeah. Sometimes when you never work a day in your life, you don't make any money either. So there's, <laughs> there's that too. But, uh, but it was one of those things where, when I wanted to uh, do something else outside of music, it needed to be a real passion and it needed to be like, it needed to feel like it wasn't a job. It needed to be, mm-hmm. Hey, I can wake up and do this. And so tequila was early on for me. I was probably like most people with tequila and that, I tell a lot of people tequila is like that buddy that you really, you know, the way I describe it now, it's that buddy that you really dig. He's a lot of fun, uh, but he's got a hell of a bad reputation, you know? (laughs) So the history of tequila in the U S was based on, uh, you know, tequilas that were uh, considered mixtos, which is added, process sugar to the uh to the fermentation process uh made for a bad hangover it didn't taste very good so for me discovering tequila in a proper way began just taking trips to vacationing in Cabo to be honest you know I hadn't yet make made it to tequila or a matitan or 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 any, any of those things. Like I, I had discovered hundred percent blue agave tequila in Cabo San Lucas. So there was a convergence for me where it was like the name cool, you know, that the name was around for years prior to the name. Then it was, man, this is good tequila. I can drink this. And some friends of mine, yeah, you can drink it. You don't have to put salt and lime and it's, you know, it tastes good. (laughs) You don't have to just take a shot. You can actually sip and enjoy. (laughs) Right. So that was, that's where I was with it. And, you know, and I, I basically, I had a friend who's, his wife is from, uh, is from Monterey. And I called Chaz and I said, hey man, I'm going to take a trip to Guadalajara and uh, I want to visit some producers, some distilleries. You know, and she helped me, you know, put 
together a trip. And he said, yeah, I think so. You know, so Jessica uh, started helping me out to meet some of these producers. And my first trip, it was game over for me, you know, because <laughs> I I'm I'm kind of a deep thinker about things and and uh of course I knew about I was drinking hundred percent blue agave tequila. But once I started meeting the producers, meeting the families, going through some of these distilleries, um, I got lucky and met some people in the industry that started the ball rolling on the educational process and now and that's when i went okay this is something that i can sink my teeth in and it can become a passion yeah so once those things came together probably in 20 i guess it was 2016 uh, it was full throttle you know working towards the concept of a brand and, and I was gonna say I mean how how involved are you because for those that that you know don't don't always know that tequila has to come from Mexico from the tequila region down there that's yeah. kind of like uh like champagne and and, and France and you know it you know so to, to actually produce it and get it you got to go down there I mean are you still going down there are you still taste testing and having that fun fun side of things yeah. and, and and also and do you ever get out into the fields and help them you know cut down the agave plants and things like that or or do you go that ah, might hurt myself <laughs> well <laughs> all of the above man uh yeah you know it, it i'm i'm extremely involved in the brand right now and as a matter of fact like you know we have a really small team uh, my wife is the marketing director. Jessica, who started, uh, took the first trip with me, is our director of operations. So she's been with us now for the whole the whole time. I mean, we're you know we're going on. I think we were two and a half years of R and D, and then we're two and a half years of uh, since we've launched. So I mean, it's a five year. You know, we're half a decade into the tequila uh, pursuit, you know? Um, so we're a small team now I've got a, uh, my head of sales and who's also from Guadalajara. Um, we've got some brand ambassadors, you know, it's it, the team's growing, but it's small. So in terms of at this juncture, I mean, I'm, I'm involved daily with the brand. Um, you know, every, every production we do, I'm there, you know, when we print labels in Napa Valley, I'm there. <laughs> so yeah, every single part of the brand and it, and it goes back to the beginning, you know, creating the, the bottle shape, uh, the label design, the financing, you know, even you know, even cap cap raise, I'm still raising capital for the brand, you know, so it, it really is, I'm, I'm heavily involved in, and I think, um, the knowledge of making tequila is still a daily thing for me. You know, there, there's, it's interesting because there's only roughly 150 distilleries in existence. And yeah, it has to be, you know, to make tequila, it's got to be in the state of Jalisco in particular two different major regions. There's, there's a few others, but lowlands and highlands as they can kind of yeah. refer to it. Um, you know, and it's one of those things where the, the concept of it all is pretty simplistic. You know, it's, and the, the, the agaves must be sourced from your region. If you're a Highlands tequila company, you can't go buy agaves on the open market. They'd end up being <laughs> lowlands. So, you know, the concept is pretty simplistic, but once you dive into, there are so many little things that can affect your profile and 
once you dive into some of these guys, these master distillers and I mean, it's impressive. And that's why I say like, I'm, I'm constantly learning, you know, and there's guys, you know, the Camarena family down there are just a wealth of knowledge. You know, we've I mean, been it, able to, I was gonna say there's a, a science to it. I mean, it, it, whether it's a bourbon or a beer or anything, I mean, there's a science to it. And, and, uh, you know, for some of them, a lot of, a lot of self-taught and, you, know, you have the three different versions of, of the Juan Lobo, the Blanco, Resposado, and and then Yeho. I mean, was that kind of the the idea is to kind of build it to to those three, or did you just kind of decide that that was and and are you kind of going to stick there, or what, what's the thought process with 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 what you're offering? Well, the original, again, the original idea behind a private label, and this is something that maybe could be information for folks that that don't know this but at the at the end of the day to become a generational tequila company uh and it yet it'll be yet to be seen for Juan Lobo <laughs> it's going to be generational uh we, we have to own our distillery you know and we have to produce our own tequila and and or partner with somebody long term but the way you begin is you have to find a family, a producer family or, or a distilling partner that's willing to uh, make a private label. It's how Casamigos started. It's how, you know, so for us, I knew being, being a gringo, um, <laughs> that there's a certain palate for most of, most of the U.S. drinkers, and I didn't. And it, it typically, it, it's it becomes a sweet thing, and I didn't want our tequila to be that way. So, I wanted to find a family that I just really I could identify with, that I could believe in, that I could form a relationship with, and that I loved their tequila. And I didn't want it to be a, a mass a mass volume producer. So the key was when I met the Bavanco family. That's the key. And that's what I want everybody to know that, that watches this is that while I'm Juan Lobo and I bring the tequila here, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our distilling family. There are five generations of agave farmers. They've been making tequila for 50 years. Their nom is nom 1414, very well respected in the tequila world, um, incredible people, uh, they're a family to me. So my mouse might've been in the way here. I don't know if you see that or not. You're good. You're good. <laughs> okay. The tequila's hit me. Uh, so it, it really was important for me. It's, it's about, it's, it is about the family that makes your tequila, you know, and if Juan Lobo becomes a bigger and bigger brand over the course of the next five years, six years, whatever, you know, my goal is to sit with the Bavanco family and say, how do we make a proprietary Juan Lobo, uh, distillery to set us up to be a generational brand. So it's really about the, the, the producer partner that you can find. And my goal was to find that partner and give them the freedom to help uh, help me find these expressions instead of saying, oh no, more like this or more like this. Because I wanted Juan Lobo- Because to they be had the expertise. I mean, they've got, got, got the, the, the years and years of knowledge, yeah. That's right. So, you know, I think about myself more like, um, you know, it, I'm a big Ralph Lauren fan. If if you get a chance, go watch uh, Very Ralph. And Very Ralph explains, talks about his, you know, journey from making a tie and some shirts to this, I mean, sort of what's described in the, 
you know, in the uh, documentary is you, you can be, it's, it be, it's become an adjective. Yeah. Somebody's very Ralph. Wow. That's very Ralph. That's like next level. You know, I don't, I don't know if somebody can become very Juan Lobo yet, but <laughs> maybe someday. Right. So the, but Ralph didn't attend, did not go to fashion design school. He's not a tailor. You know, he's got a, he knows what he's looking for and he's got a vision for it. And that, I think that would sort of describe my interaction with the Bavancos with Juan Lobo tequila, you know, so I like that. Am I a master distiller? Do I understand every process? No, you know, no, but I knew on a palette level and the look of what I wanted to go for on the presentation and the palette. Um, so we worked together to go, what, what does the Blanco represent? And so to answer that question, that was a long way to get to her <laughs> answer your question. I wanted a I wanted a full expression line. I wanted a Blanco. I wanted a Reposado. I wanted a Ñejo. It's not where it's ultimately going to end up. Uh, I do want to add expressions. There are some experimentation that I want to kind of go through in the coming years with with our brand. Um, But right now I wanted to come with with a full expression line. Uh, I like that because not everyone does that. They and to uh, with everything, things take time, and that unfortunately, and 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 not everyone has has that ability. And, yeah, and, you know, so it's cool cool to see that. And you know, I, I know that tequila is not your only hobby. You, you kind of touched on it that you know you're you're renovating a house and things like that. I think I also read somewhere where uh, you're a bit of an interior design geek, <laughs> and you go out, go to antique shops and furniture stores on your day off. I mean, is that true? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, you know, I'm. I think that's part of the whole. Just I like to, you know, I think. Uh, I've said this a few times. I like to make stuff, you know. I make country music. Uh, you know, my new record, Dos Corazones, is very kind of. I I would call it like a craft. It's a craft country record, like you would, you know, a craft tequila. Uh, I like to make stuff. I like to refurbish stuff. I like to, you know. I, I guess it's it started that way as a as a kid. You know, I was, I was an artist growing up I painted I was I did sketches I can't do any of that now I've got I got a few of those <laughs> left over I'm like man that's pretty you mean, good are, are they gonna be so can you sell those and maybe make a couple extra bucks <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I'm not to look into that you know and, <laughs> but I think I, I think it's just creativity you know and and I think that that you know Amber and I love to you know we're we we were designing a home or shifting gears a little bit right now, but um, so yeah, I think it's just about making making stuff, making good stuff, trying to make the best stuff you can. You know, if it's if it's a tequila, or a, you know, or something to do with a yeah, interior or or a country record. Uh, I, I think it's about making good stuff. I like it. I like it. And, you know, I, you also touched on this. I mean, you're, you're a man of many talents. I mean, you got a finance degree, things like that. I mean, how did, how, but how do you go from getting a finance degree to working in the oil business to a country music man? Like, how, how does that transition happen? <laughs> well, you can blame Garth Brooks and George Strait for that one. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I grew up in a, in a small town in Oklahoma and uh, you know it's it it was one of those things where my my stepfather played bass and my sister still is an amazing singer amazing singer and just kind of grew up around music and and no kidding like you know I remember being being a kid and Garth Brooks came out you know, and you go, man, what's this? You know, because Garth was kind of doing something at the time that, and I feel like that, of course, there's a lot of artists that were doing this in the 90s. And, you know, I'm not bagging on today's country, 
that I'm bagging on today's country in a way. <laughs> uh, they had a way to like make stuff that was artistic, had artistic integrity, but was also very commercially viable. Garth did that to me, like the dance. I mean, come on, man. You know, shame. Of course, Shameless was a, a Billy Joel thing, but um, you know, much too young, and uh, you know, if tomorrow never comes. They're almost kind of folk songs. They're Americana stuff that, and I, I, I think that that just got a hold of me, and I knew that that was my deepest passion I didn't know how to do it though <laughs> honestly like, you, you know grew up in northeastern Oklahoma you know I I didn't know where, I didn't know where Nashville was I did I had no idea you know um, you just knew it was out east <laughs> it was I away from out there, you know, I, but I like to I like to sing the songs and I, you know I, I started learning the songs on guitar and and uh and again, I kind of fought these different passions, you know, Hey, I want to go to Colorado and, and, uh, you know, climb mountains and, you know, live that life too. You know, I got into fly fishing. I love to fly fish to this day. I do. I, I took, I've got Amber, I got my wife, Amber fly fishing. So, um, man of many talents, man of many yeah, talents. You know, and, uh, <laughs> I don't catch a lot of fish. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm the greatest fly fisherman, but, uh, but you know, I was kind of into this stuff, these different things, but kept kind of coming back to country music. And so British Petroleum, you know, transferred me to, got out of school, worked for BP for a few years and uh, transferred me to Houston. And this was 2004, I wanna say, something like that. And, uh, and it just, it was nagging at me. You know, I was like, man, I gotta do something about this. And I, I had, I had discovered Texas music. I discovered <laughs> Pat Green, you know, so I, I knew the, I knew the George Straits in the, you know, the Garth and I'd gotten into Willie and Waylon and the hag and, and okay, okay. And I, then I, then I went Texas, Texas music. Pat Green, uh, what? Let me hear Whole this. Whole other world. Whole other world. Yeah. Uh, oh <laughs> man, this is. So it became my my avenue, you know. When I moved to moved to Houston, I, I, I just, I, I literally found some open mic nights, and so I I got my guitar and started going to this open mic night in Interloop, Houston, at uh, Kay's Lounge, and from there I met John Evans, Hayes Carl, Ryan Bingham all the dudes like they i mean i i would just kind of that little there there was a scene in in houston in in that time frame oh four oh five oh six oh seven that all that time frame there was a scene and it was impressive man i mean it really was so i ended up being i i lived with hayes carl for a few years he's my roommate i was a fan and uh, it was awkward the first few nights staying at the... <laughs> Wake up and go, wait, it's you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot to say other than uh, dig your music. You know, uh, Hayes and I, of course, became friends over the year. Over <laughs> It didn't take long. It was maybe a week or two of awkwardness. We became, became buddies. But, um, you know, so there just was a channel and an opportunity for me to get into country music and it kind of snowballed from there you know leave my job become poor all those things you know <laughs> i mean i'm guessing though that like you talked about it, you kind of had a love love of music i mean did that come from where did that come from was it family you know who who played and and, and did, did things i mean did that kind of just transfer along to you and as just one of the many creative outlets that you kind of had or at least was yeah going on around you at the time Probably had to, you know, because and I grew up in a Pentecostal church, you know, so, I mean, it was 
definitely um, it was strict in a lot of ways my upbringing um, I wasn't allowed to listen to quote secular music growing <laughs> up I'm, I'm not kidding dude my no mom, I get it I get it I get it yeah, I, I've heard I was, this, I've, yeah I couldn't listen to secular music <laughs> uh, but I got to listen to they would let me listen to oldies and Sinatra and so mm. my my first and that's and that's really again that kind of like I connect connecting the dots through my life in terms of what I gravitate towards um and even in my tequila how it's how it shows up is that I I, I guess I I just I fell in love with the crooners you know like I, I was the only middle school kid cranking Frank Sinatra and, and, uh, uh, Harry Connick Jr. I loved Harry Connick Jr. Which he's kind of a young Sinatra at, a, at those times, like a little more rooted in the, you know, the, the blues, yeah, well, yeah. And the new Orleans jazz vibe, but he was very Sinatra esque. uh, sang a lot of Gershwin and, you know, stuff like that. And so I was, I, I think it just was music was around me and I, and the stuff I was allowed to listen to or, you know, was, uh, really classic stuff. Uh, if my wife and I are going down the road and there's a, and they don't have oldies stations much anymore. Like oldies is like Van Halen now. <laughs> I was no, gonna say, but, you got to go way, way back now, nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's funny because like I grew up, you know, like where I grew up, um, uh, in I grew up in West Virginia, but right across the river is where Dean Martin was born, you know. So like they have Dean Martin days, you know. They still honor those things, and I, yeah. I feel like that kind of goes back to maybe you're a little bit of an old soul with, with, with how things are. Definitely, man. I definitely would say that. I. You know, I was, uh, I don't tell a lot of people this, but, you know, part of what shaped my life was, you know, my father passed away when I was young. Uh, and my, my stepfather raised me, but my father passed away when I was six. And uh, that grows a kid up pretty fast, you know? Like, I took things, I looked at things differently. I, I took things a little more serious, I guess. Um, you grow up real quick. You you do. Yeah. Yeah. I was probably a little more mature and maybe I understood Sinatra at the time or something. And so, uh, uh, yeah, man, I think, and I, so I fell in love with the way they sang and the quality in like the class, you know? And so I think that kind of filtered over to, you know, the next thing would have been, you know, and I, and I think at the time Garth Brooks was probably, you know, edgy, you know, mm-hmm. he was, cause he kind of rocked the boat in country music at the time. He, he was, he was the guy that people are like, that's too rock for country, you know, which is, it, it's, there's always that happening in the genre, but, but he, you looking back, it's just very quality stuff. And then you, you, then you go, oh man, George Strait is, he's the, you know, he's the, he's the Sinatra of country music, you know, and I love George and George wanted to be Merle Haggard when he was younger, you know, and Merle's the, you know, he had the smooth voice, you know, and I I think that that's just all becomes a part of what I gravitated, you know, towards, so. Well, and then, uh, I mean, did did uh, see? Was it seeing Garth? I mean, I think I read two somewhere where where you saw Garth in concert, and then you're like, I got to do this. This this is where I need to be. This is this is this is it. I mean, was that kind of the moment where you're like, all right, yeah. career time. This is this is my path. Yeah, it was because it it was Tulsa Driller Driller Stadium in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was probably. I was a teenager, so I was probably 16 or, so I wasn't playing, a lot of these, you know, and I, I kind of got into country a little later than some, you know, because I went to school and a lot of these guys, 
you know, they were, and I, I, you know, I look up to a lot of these guys and envy these guys, but that, that played dance halls and beer joints when they were, you know, 14 years old with their dad's band or whatever. Uh, I didn't really do that, you know, but I, I think right around 16 is when I saw that show and I went, man, I just walking out of there. I just couldn't, you know, I I just something inside of me was like, you're going to, I've got to do this. I I don't know what it was about it. It, And I think it was, you know, again, it just the, the passion behind the lyrics and, you know, you go from the dance to ain't going down to the sun come comes up, you know, I, I didn't drink beer back then, of course, but <laughs> I, I felt like I wanted to, you know, and, um, but I would, it would take me all the way until, you know, I was 20, uh, I guess probably 25 to actually start pursuing country music, you know, maybe 20, somewhere. You're a late bloomer. You're a late bloomer. It's okay. (laughs) I mean, Hey, you know, and I think, uh, but I did a lot of stuff in those years that again, going to school, living in Colorado, getting my finance degree, working for BP. So I'm sure there's some guys in Nashville that, go, geez, I wish I had done that instead of just gone to Nashville when they're 18. You know what I mean? Uh, I You had, a, you had a light, real life experiences. Yeah. And, and I, you know, so I guess the grass is always greener. Sometimes I go, man, if, you know, maybe my career would be up here in the atmosphere if I just moved to Nashville when I was 18, you know. But who knows? You might not have a tequila. That's right. <laughs> that's right yeah you know you also you know you got a new album out um or at least newish new new newish you, you talked a little bit about it kind of that craft country you know a lot of storytelling on it and and i love that because I, I feel like that's just you, you, you see it sometimes but you don't always see it all the time and i, and, and I really kind of just love kind of what you tried to do with it and you talk a little bit about about it and how it came together yeah you know i think uh you know, if I look back on, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm probably not the, uh, I've never, I don't, I don't know at any point in time in my career that I've been like the toast of the town, so to speak, you know, there's always, you know, these big movements and these big things that are happening, be it in Texas or, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm buddies with, I love seeing Parker McCollum explode and Parker's a buddy of mine. And, and, uh, you know, and I, I love seeing these guys grow and, and you look back on these different, um, you know, there's the Stapleton thing that happened and you're going, wow, this is like a thing that's happening. And I've never been that guy. There's never been like a, Hey, today's John Wolf day, you know? Uh, I've just kind of been, tried to be, tried to stick to my guns, make the best country music I can, and hope, I would love for that to happen in my career at some point where, you know, it's, it's, it's John Wolf Day, where people discover what you're doing. Um, I had a John Wolf Day. I discovered it. I liked it. Hey, good. Okay, well, maybe there's maybe there's a John Wolf day that I don't know about. You know, so, <laughs> um, but you know, I think I think every artist that I'm sure, and and again, from the guys that are getting big now to the dudes that have had big careers, they all probably got to a point where they said, Hey, I'm just going to stick to my guns on my music and do what I can do. And whether or not it explodes on a nationwide level or worldwide level, I can't control that, but I have to just make great music. So that's been my attitude. I would say most of my career, I I would say. And I feel like 
like when I, when I think about that, like you're, you're authentic to you. And I feel like that'll, that, that comes through on things. And it's not like you've changed, like you've changed, you've grown, you've, you've done that. But I mean, people know, you know, like it, it, there's just a certain, I don't know, there's a certain something with that, that, that you, you get yeah. when you're, you, you do what, what you love to do. And, and eventually, you know, at some point in time that that's made a lot of fans and a lot of, a lot of people happy. Cause I mean, you're, you're going on tour, you're, you've, you've had, how, you know, countless albums and live albums and things like yeah. that, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, you're definitely doing something right. Um, sure. you also got, you also got a, a new uh, single, a cowgirl like you, uh, is that, that one a little more personal than, than some others or, or how does, how do you feel about that one? Yeah. And I think it fits into this record and I, I, I got a little sidetracked on that. I'll come back to that. I guess <laughs> I heard that happens with you from time to time. <laughs> yeah. I'm a talker. Uh, but so what I meant by that is like, I think throughout my career, I, you know, kind of talking about Dos Cortezonas throughout my career, I've, I've made these, these, these records, of course, that I, I believe in and I love. And, and we have developed this amazing fan base and they've, my fans have always been really good to me. And I've, I hope that I've been the same to them. And I think, um, we've kind of gotten to a point prior to the pandemic where, you know, come, you know, come see a show at green hall. And, it, and what I call it is just a big sing along with like 900 of my best friends. I mean, it's, they know every word on every record and we have this great time. And while when the pandemic hit, it definitely, you know, it affected me, affected me like it did everybody. You know, I mean, you can't quantify one person to the next, like how it, you know, Hey, this is worse on me. You don't, you know, there's none of that, but it just affected everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, as we started kind of working through the process of knowing I can't tour and all these different things, I wanted to cut a record that challenged me and challenged the process and basically um, gave my fans something different. So, I use that example because when we play Green Hall again, they know all those words from boots on a dance floor to play me something I can drink to, to, you know, that girl in Texas, I don't dance all. They know all that stuff. Some old bar in the nineties feels like country music. They know all that stuff. What can I give them something different and that challenges me creatively? The concept behind Dos Corazones was birthing the, the entire creative concept in one place, in one location, in a, in a concise amount of time. So a lot of times people work on a record over the course of a year or two, and they write with 25 different people, and they, they go in and cut all these different songs. And my idea, and then, then they need an album cover, or they need a video, or they need whatever. My idea was there's a, a place that's very special to me and my wife, and it's it's Terlingua, Big Bend. It's far west Texas, far out west Texas, so what a lot of people call it, because it's it it's pretty far out. I mean, you, you go out there and you meet some folks that you know haven't gone to the you know, local Walmart in a long time. I mean, <laughs> they, you're they are there. locals. They are local locals. Yes. Yeah, you're out there, man. I you're had in, those in West Virginia. I get it. I get it. Yeah. You're, you're in, you're in, uh, you're in the Chihuahua desert. And so I had this idea to get my producer, Dave Brainerd, who's Grammy nominated. He's produced everybody. He's amazing. He's an amazing person, musician, writer, uh, with Tony, and get Tony Ramey, who's from West Virginia. Ooh, I see it all comes back around. All comes back uh, that's around. right. That's right. And uh, so me and Tony and Dave, we're going to hole up 
and just write in the desert in this little house. So I had to find this house. And the house is a little adobe. And it's called Dos Corazones. It's the name of the house, Two Hearts. And the idea is to bring Mason Dixon, my film director buddy from Nashville, and Jeremy Thomas, a photographer that works with Mason. We've, and we did stuff together. So we have a history, right? A creative history. Um, and of course, my wife and Mason's wife, Amanda. And, you know, let's go to this house and let's start writing. And you guys film it. Every morning we'll do, we'll do film work. We'll do stills in the morning to you know, supplement the project. So all the photography, everything would be birthed in one place. And believe it or not, going into the, number one, it was expensive because, <laughs> right? So all of Oops. my kids have a price tag. <laughs> on uh, it was expensive, but the idea was, you know, to create something, to challenge myself creatively. There's not a mold. It's, I'm not trying to repeat a song I've done before. And we were all still, we were all coming out of the lockdown. So there was a, a lot of creative energy pent up. And we all got out there and it was, you know, at first, like the first day was kind of going, man, this is amazing scenery. But what the hell are we doing here? You know? And each of us had some ideas. And by the second day, we were starting to lock into a, a routine and the creative juices were flowing. We were drinking a lot of agave, <laughs> a lot of tequila. And we ended up I've heard riding. good things happen. I've heard good things happen when you drink Juan hey, Lobo. I, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm going to tell you. We wrote the better part of a 16. I mean, we wrote 11 songs in 11 days. And, you know, sometimes people say, we wrote 11 songs, 11 days. Okay, great. You know, are they any good? Yeah. yeah. But That's subjective. I, yeah. Right. I just challenge people to go listen to Dos Cortezonas and you look at like Two Hearts in Terlingua or Western, A Cowgirl Like You, uh, Tequila Sundown. Here's to all my heroes. All that stuff was when the good old boys age out. All that stuff was written in 11 Great days. Great song. Thank you. So that was the concept of Dos Cortezones right there, buddy. Well, and I love that too because I feel like to some degree, you know, with, with the, the pandemic, the quarantine, whatever you want to call call this era, you know, that, yeah. that people had time to actually stop because you're not touring, you're not doing kind of your normal thing and 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 therefore like you said you challenged yourself others ha have challenged yourself and I, I i'm seeing some cool things that have come out of that and, and i love that and you know as as we kind of wind down our, our chat and our drink you're you're on tour a lot you do a whole lot you, you you've got a, you're a man of many 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 i can probably say that a whole lot more times talents do, do you ever take time off and do you ever just go well, I'm going to relax on the couch or is that a no? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, Amber and I try to, uh, chill every night, to be honest with you. And cause she works, she's really involved in all of what I'm doing. I guess my businesses would be the word, but, uh, she, she might've told me that you like to talk a little bit. Maybe. <laughs> she said, just get ready. All you got to do is just hit, hit record. And the guy's going <laughs> to, uh, so she, you know, we, you know, we have our Netflix and, uh, Amazon prime shows and, uh, yeah. So we, we try to chill every night. And I think that, we're, we're big, uh, we, we kind of schedule out big trips and look towards those. So uh, this year is gonna be kind of pedal the metal until January. 
And then so, you can go, so until the next year, <laughs> until the yeah, next so year. I'm, I'm kicking off January with uh, 20, 22 days in Cabo. So that's where you're going to find me. That's going to be my time. My but are time. you going to be working? Are you going to be taste testing things during that time? I'll be taste testing whatever tequila those guys want to hand me. I'm, of course, I, I tell everybody, I go, look, man, you know, I love, you can see my tequila bar back there. I mean, I, I love Juan Lobo. And of course, I'm a believer in our brand. And I drink it more, I predominantly drink Juan Lobo tequila. But there's great tequila out there. And as long as it's 100% blue agave, go for it. Test it out. See what you like. So uh, I'll be drinking any 100% blue agave tequila they hand me over that period of time in January. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> And, and, and so I guess my I'm gonna gonna wrap up on this. You can find find him at johnwolfcountry.com. Find him on social media. You can find his um, tequila at juanlobotequila.com. What else can folks expect from you the rest of, of 2022? Because obviously it sounds like you're still gonna be hitting places, going on tour, having a lot of fun. Yeah, you know I think we encourage folks to check out the tour schedule. Uh, we're kind of all over the place this year. This would probably be the most out-of-state touring uh, that I've done in, um, in my career. So uh, come see a show if you can. Um, we do have plans. We're trying to get this record to vinyl, which I think Dos, Dos Cortezonas, and thank you for, for listening to it, and thank you for, um, you know, taking an interest in, in – and what I'm doing in this and in, in my music because you know Dos is is a it's a cool record man there's a lot to it and you know we're we want to continue to try to get people to know about it so there's probably going to be a re-release of Dos uh with some additional tracks but a vinyl I think is and, and the like Old everything school. Old soul, old school, hey, old that's soul. Right. So there's probably going to be a vinyl come out, but this year's all about touring. Uh, we're going to be opening some new some new markets for Juan Lobo. We're coming to Colorado uh, here in the next couple weeks. We're coming to Nashville, but uh, tequila, country music, maybe a house renovation in the middle of it all. Are you going to build a house too? I heard that. I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I may just live on the bus. We'll see what happens. Well, you have a very nice bus, which, which I, I while we were talking, I decided to look up. I was like, what did I see to get to, to, to get me on to John Wolf and have my John Wolf day? And it was a guy that I had on previously, Hayden Kaufman, who is an up and coming guy. Really, really cool. He yep. was outside of your bus, you know, that has the wolf and, and a very, you know, awesome looking, uh, John Wolf on the side. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. he goes, I didn't get to see him, but I got to, and, you know, meet him, but I got to enjoy his music. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's a nice bus is all, all I'm saying. It's not bad. And, uh, <laughs> I like Hayden an awful lot. And we were on the road going up through the Midwest, freezing our asses off. <laughs> I was gonna say, it's a little different yeah. than Texas. It's a little different than Texas. Oh, I think he was outside of Indianapolis when that happened. <laughs> yeah, I said, man, I'm sorry. I, I, in Indianapolis, I said, hey, dude, I'm sorry I didn't get to hang out the night before. I apologize, but I really do like Hayden an awful lot. And uh, by the way, I renovated the inside of my tour bus, too. I don't know. I, I didn't add Ooh. that in there. You know. So a man, man of many talents, man of many talents. And, and John, yeah. dude, this was a blast. Like I said, johnwolfcountry.com. Find him on social media. He says, I think he's going to be more involved here soon. Um, yes. You can also find his tequila at juanlobotequila.com. John, this was a blast, dude. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for having me.